Coming up on episode 119 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, there's mail to answer in Malin's mailbag. Plus, the scores from week 7 of Southwest Ohio High School football, the chase for the playoffs, and sectionals for Indiana High School football. Plus, we'll talk about the six Bengals loss on the year, the start to the Cincinnati Cyclone season, and major waves being made in one of the oldest independent baseball leagues in America. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to sports happening in the Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio region. Visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast to listen on your favorite platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. Follow the host on Twitter at theleewmowen and the podcast at Pod. Opening theme is Arpy by Dan Hennig from the YouTube Music Library Collection. Now for your host, Lee W. Mowen. Welcome back, dear listener. It's great to have you on board for episode 119 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Did I mention this podcast is on Pandora yet? Because that news is still... Very, very exciting for yours truly, because that's a pretty big platform. So, you know, go and listen to it. You can find all the platforms. This podcast is available at theleewmallon.com slash podcast. And pick your favorite one, subscribe and listen, and be a part of this podcast. Hey, did you hear in the intro that I have some mail to answer? It's fantastic when I get questions. Anyway, I guess... It's time for Mowen's Mailbag, the segment where you can ask questions and interact with the podcast. Send in your future questions on Twitter at Pod or the Lee W. Mowen, on the Facebook page, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, or through the Flick Chat app by searching the local Sunday sports group. Theme music is from Music Radio Creative at musicradiocreative.com. Got two today for Malin's mailbag. One on Facebook, one on Twitter. Again, send your future questions. It doesn't need to be when I ask for them. You can send them in anytime, and I'll throw them into a future episode. Like I mentioned, I love getting questions for Malin's mailbag because it makes me feel like people are listening to this podcast. We'll start off with Travco on Facebook. Will we ever see AJ Green play another game in a Bengals uniform? I say yes. I feel like he's close to returning to the field. And the second part is, why would he risk coming back for this team? I always loved A.J. Green, and I always feel like his loyalty is top-notch. I mean, sometimes we question why, because, you know, Mikey Boy Brown, you know, he was on the Bengals broadcast. Although, originally, they pointed out the wrong guy. He's like, that's Mike Brown. Nope. That's not Mike Brown at all, but you get where I'm going with this. I'm going to have to say in that second part, loyalty, and I dig it. Although, really, 
if you think about his career, he deserves a ring. He deserves playoffs, at least, and getting past the first round. So, I admire A.J. Green for wanting to stay a Bengal. So, hopefully we see A.J. Green back soon. I saw reports that maybe this week. I don't know, but... I hope to see A.J. Green in the near future. I know the Bengals need it. We'll talk about week six loss at Baltimore. What is it about Bengals and mobile quarterbacks that go together like fire and more fire? I don't know. And Tony Peters on Twitter asked me, which high school football team has surprised you the most so far this year? There were a lot of answers to that. I'll pick teams from Cincinnati and Dayton. And I'm going to save that for the playoff chase. And I know I'm not answering the question right off the bat. I'm sorry, Tony. But as I go through the playoff chases, I'll let you know, hey, this team, I didn't expect them to be chasing playoffs. Or that team in the basement. I thought they would be better than that. So we'll go through that as we get to the point system. And we're using Joe Idol's site today. Thank you, Joe, for your service to high school football in Ohio. But first, week seven scores and week eight in Wayne County and surrounding areas in Indiana. We're going to go backwards today because I feel like it. And we're going to start with the Indiana scores first. We're going to go upwards on the local scores word document that I have because I can. So there we go. We'll start off with the Indiana scores as Monroe Central posts a 45 nothing shutout over the Patriots of Union County. We have Richmond defeating Anderson 21-18. Winchester shuts out Lincoln 26-0. Lawrenceburg wins over Connersville 50-6. Union City edges out Centerville 28-27. Hagerstown beats Tri 20-14. And Knightstown is shut out by Northeastern 20-0. You think Knightstown would be the Knights, but I think they're the Panthers and Northeastern's the Knights. So there you go. Non-league games. Because again, we're starting from the bottom and heading to the top, and now we're here or something. Worthington Christian defeats Dayton Christian 31-22. St. Francis de Sales takes down Belmont 28-7. Roger Bacon defeats Meadowdale 32-8. Troy Christian wins over Jefferson Township 38-8. Thurgood Marshall takes care of Woodward from Cincinnati 20-8. Western Hills shuts out Hillcrest 14-0. Witten Woods wins big over Edgewood, 55-20. St. X, they start off with a 6-0 deficit from Clarkson North, but the Bombers fly nicely with a 44-6 win over their Canadian foes. And Covington Catholic in Kentucky, they defeat LaSalle 27-7. And I forget what the streak was that was mentioned a bunch of times on the Tri-State football uh, postgame show they do, or the scoreboard show, I should say. Something like, 19 straight wins at home. Something like that. I don't remember. I apologize. And now we get to the Miami Valley Conference as New Miami. They're 7-0 for the first time ever in school history. But by computer points, that's 6-0. And there's another team that is affected by that because they played a non-OS or OHSAA affiliated school. Meaning those wins and points don't count. Well, actually, they're not points handed out, so there you go. 
But New Miami defeats Miami Valley Christian 40 to nothing. Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy shuts out Purcell Marion 34 nothing. Lachlan defeats St. Bernard 27 to 14. Yes, it's the same St. Bernard Elmwood place that I mentioned weeks past, but I think St. Bernard is, you know, the best name for it. I don't know. Someone tell me if I'm wrong on that. Cincinnati College Prep and Cincinnati Country Day, a 44-7 defeat. North College Hills, 48. Clark Montessori, 14. And Summit Country Day, 48. Norwood, 16. One of the best years for the Silver Knights since 2013. Going off memory. Now to the Cincinnati Metro Athletic Conference. Not sure if Gamble Montessori played that week. Their score was not in. Riverview East versus Hillcrest. As I mentioned, Hillcrest was reported in the non-league games against Western Hills. So I wonder if Riverview East had to forfeit the season because of a short team. I'm not sure. By short, I mean depth-wise, body-wise, not short as in height. There you go. So there's two scores to report from the CMAC. Aiken defeats Schroeder 18-8, to and Taft 26, Hughes 6. It's impressive what the Senators are doing this season. Had a lot of uh, senior graduates from last year's squad, but really, when you look at Taft, it's the battle in the trenches that the Senators keep winning. Therefore, Taft is very successful in that category. We'll move to the Southwest Ohio Conference. Again, this from the Tri-State Football Scoreboard Show. Barely Talawanda never defeated Mount Healthy until last Friday. And the Brave come on top of the Owls 24-6. Harrison defeats Little Miami 36-13. And Ross rolls big over Northwest 41-18. Upwards to the Southern Buckeye Athletic and Academic Conference. East Clinton edges out Fayetteville 20-15. Goshen defeats Wilmington 32-20. Shutout winners are the Clinton Massey Falcons. They defeat Western Brown 49-0. Blanchester 42, Williamsburg 20, New Richmond roars over Bactavia 50 to 7, and Bethel Tate slashes Claremont Northeastern 34 to 9. Upwards to the Eastern Cincinnati Conference. Again, I mentioned on the broadcast, but thank you to Turpin and the athletic department for the hospitality and letting us call the game inside the press box. Although the rain really didn't hit until about the fourth quarter. The Turpin Spartans roll over Loveland 48 to 12 as Turpin, their leading rusher, is out with an ACL tear, possibly not coming back this season. Then their second string running back steps up and rushes for five touchdowns. Very impressive. Kings 31, Walnut Hills 26, with throw with a big win over Milford 20 to 14. Let 20 nothing at the half did the Tigers, Milford. Cut it down to six, but that's all the Eagles could do at Withrow. And Anderson comes back from a two-point deficit at half to take down West Claremont 34-23. to I have it on good authority that Turpin hosts Anderson this Friday, and that will probably be for the ECC title. And if Anderson can pull up an upset win, I say upset as Turpin is undefeated, Anderson's only undefeated in ECC play, that will put Anderson in a playoff spot, and probably for good. Turpin, number one in D2 Region 8, but we'll talk about that later, I promise. To the Greater Miami Conference, as Lakota West takes care of Mason 14-6, Lakota East shuts out Oak Hills 41-0, Coleraine 17, Hamilton 3, 
Fairfield picks up a nice 37-13 win over Princeton, and Sycamore takes care of Middletown 15-0. To the Cincinnati Hills we go as Wyoming stays perfect. They defeat Deer Park 42-10. Indian Hill 49, Reading 7, Madeira 38, Taylor 13, and Marymount shuts out Finneytown 28-0. To the Greater Catholic League, Elder takes care of Muller, 42-6. Carroll shuts out McNicholas, 28-0. Chaminade-Julien takes care of Baden, 17-3. And Fenwick hands Alter their second loss in a row, 26-14. As we make the flight up to the Dayton City League, just one conference game to talk about. There's six schools in the Dayton City League. Only five have football. Stivers does not have football. As Dunbar smashes Ponix Tech 45-6. to Now we head towards north of the Miami Valley to the Midwest Athletic Conference. Minster rolls over St. Henry 45-7. Coldwater takes care of Delphos St. John's 49-0. And before we move on to the other three max scores, I have to apologize because on Twitter... I listed that Fort Recovery was shut out by Coldwater 49-nothing instead of... Well, actually, I put Fort Recovery in twice. That's why you shouldn't tweet scores at midnight after a long trip from Turpin back to the Dayton area. I was tired and I didn't catch it, so I apologize for that miscue on my tweet. But like I mentioned, Coldwater defeated Delpho St. John's 49-0, not Fort Recovery. Anna took care of Fort Recovery 53-20. Marion Local flying over the Versailles Tigers 38-7. And New Bremen pecks out a 40-18 win against Parkway. We'll go now to the Ohio Heritage Conference as Mechanicsburg coming off a tough loss. They take care of Triad and a 44-7 triumph. West Jefferson continues to roll. They defeat Northeastern 48-7. Greenview takes care of Cedarville 26-8. Fairbanks edges out West Liberty Salem 26-20. A nice win for Fairbanks. Believe they're the Jets. Southeastern 50, Springfield Catholic Central 0. And Green in 24, Madison Plains 16. Back up north, we'll tackle the Western Buckeye League first as Ottawa Glandorf defeats Lima Shawnee 23-7. Defiance edges out Salina 28-27. Wapkaneta defeats Lima Bath 27-3. St. Mary's wins big over Relida 62-14. Ketton 48, Van Wart 25. Now to the Northwest Central Conference as Ridgemont keeps the Comets of Marion Elgin winless 38-26 Ridgemont wins. Harden Norvin 21, Layman Catholic 0, Riverside 6, Waynesville Goshen 0, and Lima Perry 48, Upper Scioto Valley 0. Now to the Central Buckeye Conference as Northwestern rolls over Indian Lake 20-14. North Union wins big over Graham 56-10. Jonathan Alder 31, Bell Fountain 21. Springfield Shawnee 63, Tecumseh 21. Benjamin Logan 42, Urbana 20. And London 42, Kenton Ridge 7. As we tackle the Greater Western Ohio Conference now, back at the Dayton area, Northmont 49, Lebanon 26, Wayne 63, Beaver Creek 20, second win for the Warriors. We'll skip the Fairmont-Centerville score because that is a pretty big streak to talk about. Springfield hands Springboro their first loss in the year, and no, Springfield and Springboro are not near each other. Springfield's in Clark County, that's the second biggest city in the Miami Valley. At least I think it is. At least that's what the media markets always say, Dayton, Springfield. 
And Springboro is Northern Warren County. Not too close. But Springfield defeats Springboro 23-0, to and the Panthers suffer their first loss in the year. And Trotwood Madison 26, Miamisburg 6. Fairmont Centerville. That streak has been all Elks since 1998. Until last week, Fairmont pulls off a 28-20 to win against Centerville. Not only does that snap a, what was it, four-game winning streak by Centerville, but that streak is over now for the Elks as Fairmont picks up the first win against CHS since 1997. 1997. That's a long time. I don't think I need to tell you that, but there you go. Miami Valley League time is Greenville shuts out West Carrollton 7-0. Xenia picks up a 21-7 win over Piqua. Troy picks up a 19-7 win over Sydney. Fairborn shuts out Vandalia Butler in a impressive Skyhawk 39-0 win. And Tippecanoe 28, Stebbins 19. To the Southwestern Buckeye League as Franklin hands Valley View their second consecutive loss. Wildcats 23, Spartans 20. And the Battle of the Golden Eagles. Or Fighting Eagles in Eaton, or just Eagles now. I don't know. Bellbrook defeats Eaton 31-7. to That snaps Eaton's two-game winning streak. And Bellbrook rolls again. Milton Union 18, Preble Shawnee 13. Waynesville defeats Dixie 70-14. to I have two scores on Middletown, Mass, and Carlisle. The Mohawks win. But one score... Re- reported the Mohawks winning 26-16, and the other score reported 26-14. If you know which one is right, yell at me at the normal address. Northridge 12, Oakwood 6, and on the Thursday night television appearance for the Blue Devils and the Hornets, Brookville takes care of Monroe 31-21. And closing out the scores, the Cross County Conference. It's weird to do the Indiana scores and then go up to the CCC. Because normally I tweet uh, Preble County scores, because that's where I'm from. Hi, Preble County. And then end with the Indiana scores. This podcast, I did the opposite, because I could. Fort Loramie continues to roll as they take care of the Tri-Village Patriots, 47-6. Miami East declaws the Ansonia Tigers. The Vikings win 35-14. Mississippi Valley edges out the Bethel Bees, 22-20. Covington pounds National Trail, 75 to nothing. Arcanum hands Tri-County North a 62-27 defeat. And Twin Valley South defeats Bradford on the road 31-7. It's always weird ending with Twin Valley South. By always weird, I mean it's weird because it's the only time I've done it in the history of this podcast. How about some college scores? We'll start from the bottom again. As Wright State defeats Pitt 7-0 in a... Game that was heavily influenced by special teams. And the Raiders are now 3-2. and two. Miami club football was off. They're back home next Saturday, not this Saturday, against the Milwaukee Panthers. Thomas Moore defeats Campbellsville on the road, 31-28. Fort Valley State takes care of Central State, 77-34. Urbana defeats Glenville State in their homecoming, 31-24, to snap a two-game slide. Mount Union crushes Wilmington 63-6. The Purple Raiders, they are the best college football team in Ohio. Wittenberg 52, Allegheny 14 as the Tigers roll over the Gators. Dayton flies over Valparaiso 41-28 in northwestern Indiana. 
Point U35, Cincinnati Christian 10. In case you don't know what Point U is, or Point University, it's in West Point, Georgia, and it's a Christian school. I had to look that up. See, I know a lot about Cincinnati and Dayton sports. You might know that from the podcast. And I feel like I know a lot about college sports. But there's always going to be the colleges that I don't know about or forget about. Point U being one that I didn't know about, so I did some research. There you go. Western Michigan, after trailing Miami for most of the first half, they come back and thwat the Red Hawks 38-16 at WMU. And number 25, Cincinnati 38, Houston 23. Got to listen to that game in between my soccer matches at Wright State and Dayton. NFL scores, we're talking about the Bengals' loss. I should load up the stats, but that'll be for the second half. As the Ravens defeat the Bengals 23-17. to That score sounds close, yes. But the stats are not going to sound anything like that. Bengals are now 0-6. Seahawks and the Cleveland Browns a 32-28 loss. The Indianapolis Colts were off. And the Steelers defeat the Chargers 24-17. to believe that was the Sunday night game. And that's your lot around the local NFL scores. The year other scores for Wright State and Dayton. Wright State Volleyball, they had a 16-match winning streak snapped at UIC three sets to nothing. And I believe all three sets were very, very close, 25-23, and all three sets in favor of the home Flames. And now the Raiders have the Wisconsin trip. Like I mentioned, if you're in the Horizon League, the Wisconsin trip is normally bad news because that's your farthest opponents for most of the teams, UIC uh, excluded. Detroit and Oakland, I think that's not too terrible off. Although I wonder if they have to swoop south of the lake to get to Green Bay and Milwaukee, or maybe go on the upper peninsula. I don't know, but the Raiders volleyball squad has the Wisconsin trip. Green Bay starts off tomorrow, then Milwaukee on Saturday afternoon. Women's soccer fell at home for the first time this year at Wright State. They fell to Milwaukee 3-0, a very physical Panther squad. And now the Raiders travel to Detroit Mercy, get back on the winning track, and then Youngstown State comes into Wright State next Wednesday. Men's soccer dropped a 3-2 overtime decision at UIC. The Raiders had a 2-1 lead until about the final buzzer where UIC tied it to force OT, and then the Flames came back and won. Wright State's now... On a 1-3 and three Horizon League slate, have lost three in a row. And Detroit Mercy comes in Saturday night. Come out to Alumni Field to hear my voice. We'll skip the golf update. As we go to UD, the women's soccer flyers drew at UMass 1-1. And Duquesne comes in later today. And then the flyers head to VCU. The men's soccer team fell at VCU in OT 2-1. And then picked up a pair of home wins at Bojan Field, defeating St. Bonaventure 6-2 and Oakland 3-0. And now UD will travel to A-10 leading St. Louis this Saturday before Duquesne comes in Wednesday. And I looked at the schedule. There's only four matches left in the regular season. How crazy is that? And Dayton Volleyball, they continue to roll in the A-10. Now 5-0 and in Atlantic 10 play beating George Mason and George Washington on the road in three sets each. 
Flyers head back to the road to take on the Rams of Fordham and the Rams of Rhode Island this upcoming weekend. How did I not catch that they were both Rams? I have no idea. And now we'll talk about golf for Wright State and Dayton. Golf is probably the one sport I know the least about. Tennis being a close second. But Wright State and Dayton, good collegiate golf programs. Dayton's got a women's golf program in the MAC. Not the MAC, the MAC, the MAAC. Whereas the Raiders do not have women's golf. They have men's golf. But Wright State took the Dayton Flyer Invitational to close out the fall season. Because in collegiate golf, you play a little bit in the fall, you play a little bit in the spring. By spring, I mean February 14th, when the Raiders resume at the Invitational at Savannah Harbor. I presume that's Georgia. I presume. If it's up north, then have fun golfing in the snow. A pair of team titles for the Raiders, a second-place finish and a pair of fifth-place showings. The Raiders bested not only the local foe Dayton Flyers by 26 shots, they also bested Cleveland State, Oakland, and Northern Kentucky. Apparently, Ohio State was in there, but when you look at the box score, they're nowhere to be listed as a team. Although there's a couple of Buckeye golfers in there, so you explain that to me. So the Raiders won the Dayton Flyer Invitational. It's an 11-team field. And yeah, big win. Michael Matheson, a freshman at WSU, finished in a three-way tie for first and then falling in a two-hole playoff, which is pretty cool because, remember, golf, there's a lot of individuals and you're golfing, and yeah, you get my drift. That's huge. The full-rate squad continues to impress. In the past few years, they've been very, very strong. And it's a shame that it's not talked about more. But like I mentioned, when I talk about golf, I feel like I'm you know, not quite there in terms of knowledge. All I know is you swap the ball, then it goes in type of thing. There you go. What's neat about golf is, actually, that is Savannah, Georgia, and that's at William and Mary. I thought William and Mary was Virginia, not... Nah, it doesn't matter. Looking down, there's the Wright State Invitational. Mark your calendars for April 19th and 20th. That's Sunday and Monday at the Heatherwood Golf Club in Springboro, right off 741. And then there's the Horizon League Golf Tournament in Indianapolis, Indiana. Still really cool. The other tournament that the Raiders won was the Crusader Intercollegiate Tournament in Chesterton, Indiana. That's where Valparaiso golfs. Sand Creek, CC. What is CC? The community course? I don't know. But it's always neat to see when that happens. And that's your scores. So congrats to all the victorious teams. And now we move on to playoffs. Playoff song made by me. Copyright. Do not copy. Anyway, we'll talk about the Indiana High School sectionals coming up. Now, how Indiana does high school football is different, because everyone makes it into the sectionals. One of the most unique states in the United States handles playoffs. This is from StatelineSportsNetwork.net. see if I can find an author. No, I can't. There you go. StatelineSportsNetwork.net. And it's got a tweet of South Adams Starfire Football watching the sectional draw. 
This year, two local Class A powers were sent to different sectionals, a positive move for both schools. ACAC member South Adams will be in sectional 43, while Adams Central is in 44. That's not in the area I cover, although I've seen South Adams for girls basketball at Insonia. And it was a pretty good Starfire team. I just like Starfire as a name of sports. All teams qualify for the playoffs, and the scheduling of playoff games comes from a blind draw. No seeding. And I assume blind draw is everyone puts on uh, um, blindfolds. Why couldn't I think of the word blindfold? I don't know. But they put on blindfolds, and then they throw darts. Like, you can't have Richmond playing the small schools. That's a blind draw. I can do what I want. No, it's... You stay in your class, and in Indiana, the larger number is your bigger schools. Like, 6A is, like, the giant schools. Wait. Yeah, 6A is the giant schools, and Class A are your smallest schools. There you go. It mentions in the article, Union City will take on West Dell. When you're 3-5 and five in most states during the high school football season, you're not thinking about playoffs. But for Union City and the Indians... They could be considered the favorite in their bracket. They have a real chance to win their first two playoff games. They have 1-7 West Dell. And if they win that game, they'll take on another 1-7 team. Against Madison Grant or Taylor. Don't ask me to locate those schools because I don't know. Pretty much once I go past Wayne County, that's where my knowledge of Indiana high schools ends. Wayne County, Union County some Randolph County, a little bit of Jay County. That's my knowledge there. Now, if you look at the other side of the bracket, we're going Class A, Sectional 43. You have 8-0 South Adams. They'll take on 3-5 and Tri-Central. No, that's not the same Tri from Wayne County. And then you have 2-6 and Southern Wells taking on 5-3 and Monroe Central. They defeated Union County 45 nothing, as you remember from the scores. I have here from the PAL item, from Scott Proctor, the local listings of these schools, where Richmond, Northeastern, and Centerville, that's Centerville, Indiana, will be among teams hosting first-round sectional football games. They have the draw Sunday, and yes, the sectionals don't begin till next week. Could I have held off on this, perhaps? No. So, in the 61 school, Class 4A, until you get to, what would be the larger numbers? Let's go back to that article. When you get to Class 6A and Class 5A, you have combined 66 schools, 32 and 6A, 5A has 34. Then when you get to the larger numbers, then you have more schools. 62 schools in 4A, 64 in 3A, 63 in 2A, 63 in single A. And like I mentioned, single A is your smaller schools. So instead of looking through the entire bracket that Max Preps provides, I can tell you the state championship will be at Lucas Oil Stadium, as it should be. That's where the NFL Colts play, after all. I go on Pow Item and tell you that the local Indiana schools, Richmond drew a home game against the Newcastle Trojans. They're 2-6, and six, the Trojans are. Whereas the Red Devils are 3-5 and five on the year. They're coming off a win against Anderson. A Richmond win against Newcastle will pit the Red Devils against the winner of Mount Vernon and Connorsville. 
Richmond and Connersville have played football since the beginning of time. By beginning of time, mean beginning of those schools. And a couple of years ago, Connersville picked up their first win since, what was it, 1929, 1934, something like that. It's been a while. So that's your 4A read. Richmond will host Newcastle. And then a win for Richmond will pit them against the winner of Fortville, Mount Vernon, or Connorsville. In 2A, sectional 38, by the way, Richmond is in sectional 21. In 2A, sectional 38, Tri-Eastern Conference members Northeastern, who's 6-2 and two on the year, and 6-2 and two Winchester could square off for the second time this year. Although, to have that happen, the Northeastern Knights have to get past Heritage Christian, who are 7-1 on the year, and ranked 9th in the state. The Golden Falcons will take on another 7-1 foe in Eastern Hancock. That's a school I know about because it's right off I-70 in Hancock County. So you head towards Indianapolis, but that's about all I know. Honest. Eastern Hancocks, ranked number 11 amongst the state's 2A teams. So yeah, daunting challenges for Northeastern and Winchester. Their 6-2 and two are the Knights and Golden Falcons, but on the other side they have 7-1 teams staring right at them in sectional play. Also in sectional 38, the Centerville Bulldogs, 4-4 four and four on the year. They'll take on Cecina, who's 5-3. and three. Centerville will host that game. Union County drew a sectional 39 home game, and they'll host the Eastern squad, who's 0-8 from Pekin, Indiana. Class A sectional 47, a trio of Tri-Eastern Conference teams host first-round matchups. With Oldenburg Academy traveling to Hagerstown, Oldenburg is 4-4. Four and four. Remember, one of the first few weeks, they forfeited against Arcanum. And Hagerstown and the Tigers are 3-5. and five. Milan, 6-2, and two, will meet up at Knightstown, 5-3. and three. And 3-5 three and five Tri will welcome in South Decatur, who is also 3-5. and five. The Lincoln Golden Eagles out of Cambridge City, 2-6. and six. They round out sectional 47 play as they'll travel to North Decatur, who is 7-1. and one. And Union City 3-5 and five will play host to West Dell, like I mentioned in sectional 43. West Dell is 1-7. Now the sectionals start next week. The finals in the sectionals start November 8th, and regionals will kick off November 15th. Hard to believe we're already reaching that point. So yes, the last regular season week in football for Indiana is next week. And like I mentioned from the State Line Sports Network article, everyone makes it to the sectionals. It's just from there on in, how far do you travel? At the bottom of the article, is it time for a new format? I don't think it is. I like that. I mean, I don't know if it ever worked in Ohio, but it's different. And I don't know... I honestly don't know if Indiana would ever consider changing the format. Because, you know, you know me, I'm so involved with Indiana sports that I cover a handful of counties, and that's about it, and Connorsville. Because I have childhood memories of Connorsville. I, I, I hope not, but then again, maybe I'm in the wrong. Maybe there is a better way to do it. But, there you go. You can find all this stuff out, pow item. Has the article I read to you from Scott Proctor 
and it tells you the teams that they cover, who they're playing in these sectionals. And now we talk about Ohio high school football and getting to Tony Peters' question, what teams have surprised me the most? This is from joeidle.com, joeidle.com slash hsfoot, football, not an actual foot. And we'll start with Division One. The smaller the number, the bigger the schools are in Ohio. So seven would be your very tiny schools. Division one would be your big schools. Normally in Ohio, your higher number of regions is the Cincinnati-Dayton area. I think it's one Division one region three that has Ohio schools mixed in with Columbus. Actually looking wrong through that. I'm wrong. It's all Columbus schools. Someone changed it on me and didn't give me a memo. I'm angry. We'll start off with Division One, Region 4. This is mostly Cincinnati schools. In fact, it is all Cincinnati schools. There is one team that's already clinched a playoff spot. The Fairfield Indians. Am I surprised? No, Fairfield's been strong for the past few years, and Coach Krause has done a really nice job with the Indians. He did a really nice job with the Middletown Minis when he was at MHS, too. But Fairfield 7-0. They've clinched a playoff spot, meaning they cannot show up for the next three games, and they're still in. There are four teams that control their own destiny, which, by the way, Fairfield has two home games left, and next up, they're at Sycamore, who's 4-3. and Oak Hills and Colerain close out the season, which Colerain-Fairfield, put on your boxing gloves, because that's going to be a dandy of a battle. Yeah, Fairfield, very impressive. I mean... It's not a big surprise. Fairfield is good. But congrats to the Indians. Last year they qualified. Last year. And three of the four teams that controlled their own destiny qualified last year as well. Say next, Elder and Colerain. All three of those schools, the Bombers, the Panthers, and the Cardinals, six and one. Pretty much win and you're in. There is a 5-2 and two school that also controls their own destiny. That would be Lakota West, 5-2. and two. And the last time the Firebirds clinched was 2014. But with Tom Bolden moving from Colerain to Lakota West, he has brought the Firebirds close to a playoff spot. Up next, it's the Battle of Westchester and Liberty Township and whatever that whole area is. Lakota West hosting Lakota East. Firebirds 5-2. and two. Thunderhawks 4 and 3. That'll be one to watch as well. There's four Bengals, actually, that are going to be honorary captains. Two for West, two for East. And if you're looking for a high school football game to go to, i pick that one. Again, it's at Lakota West, which is off Union Central Boulevard. Not the school you pass on 75, heading towards Tylersville. That's Lakota East. Again, it should be north-south, but that's me nitpicking. Also, the Firebirds will close out with a road trip to Princeton and a home game against 1-6 Middletown. In Ohio, you're in the top eight. You're in the playoffs. If you're not in the top eight, you're not. 6-7-8, and eight, you got the 4-3 and three Princeton Vikings, the 4-3 and three Sycamore Aves, and the 4-3 and three Lakota East Thunderhawks. Pretty much, you need your wins for your computer points, and you need the opponents you've beaten for more computer points. Just outside the bubble, the Walnut Hills Eagles, they will be at Loveland, and I'll have that call on ESP Media. Hope you join me for that. 
Walnut Hills three and four, Mason three and four, Hamilton three and four, Lebanon also three and four, along with Milford two and five, West Claremont two and five, Western Hills. Western Hills is D one. I knew they were a big school, but I didn't think they were D one. Okay. Archbishop Moeller one and six. Yes, I know it's weird to say that Moeller's not going to be making the playoffs. Technically, they're not mathematically eliminated, but when you're towards the bottom, it's tougher to get in. Along with 1-6 Middletown and 0-7 Oak Hills. Oak Hills having the longest drought of playoffs. The Highlanders haven't made it since 1999. Which goes the same for my Twin Valley South Panthers. That was their only playoff run. Now to Division 2 Region 8. This is the division and region that I'm most part of. As I cover the Loveland Tigers. There are two schools that... Control their own destiny. I should mention these are all unofficial. These are the unofficial rankings, but they're based on the Ohio points. That's why Joe Idol's site is such a valuable asset. You can also have a link there for OHSAA rankings, which are the ones the state go by. Harrison is on top of D2 Region 8. The Wildcats are 6-1, and one, and they're on top of the Turpin Spartans. I believe the win against... Loveland kind of knocked them down a little bit in terms of computer points. At least I think. I don't know. But Turpin Spartans, they control their own destiny. I'm sure one more win and they're solid. LaSalle also controls their own destiny. The Lancers do at 6-1. and one. Followed by Columbus St. Francis de Sales. I had no idea they were in D2 Region 8, but there you go. Along with Canal, Winchester, Walnut Ridge, Anderson, and Witten Woods. That's your top eight with Xenia. Not that far away. So again, your top eight, Harrison Turpin, LaSalle from Columbus, St. Francis of Sales, Canal Winchester, Walnut Ridge, and back in Cincinnati, Anderson, Winton Woods. Like I mentioned, if Anderson can beat Turpin on the road, I'm pretty sure that will leapfrog them forward or possibly solidify a playoff spot. Winton Woods, I think I read from Mike Dyer, who's at WCPO, the ABC affiliate in Cincinnati, they need two out of the next three, and Elder and LaSalle were in that mix, LaSalle being number three in D2 Region 8. Xenia just behind the bubble. According to Joe Idle, they've never qualified for the playoffs. Wouldn't it be neat to see the Buccaneers do that? Very impressive Buccaneers team, but they're currently behind Witten Woods. It's a traffic jam. Talawanda, not too far away. They're 10th. You have to be in the top eight. So no playoffs at the season end today, but it's nice to see that the Talawana Brave are so close. St. Charles not too far behind, along with Little Miami, Kings, Taze Valley, that's Central Ohio. There's a lot of Central Ohio schools in D2 Region 8. I thought it was mostly, you know, Cincinnati and Dayton schools in the higher number of regions in a division, but there you go. Okay, from... Ninth on, Xenia, Talawanda, St. Charles, Little Miami Kings, Taze Valley, Whitehall, Yearling, Franklin Heights in Columbus, Withrow, Fairborn, Logan, Chillicothe, West Carrollton, who is mathematically eliminated, along with Edgewood, Tecumseh, Stebbins, Briggs, Loveland, and Columbus West. Stebbins, Columbus Briggs, Loveland, and Columbus West have been mathematically eliminated with West Carrollton. Edgewood, Tecumseh, Need a lot of bounces their way. As Edgewood's 2-5, and five, Tecumseh's 1-6. and six, But computer points control all. 
So five teams eliminated in D2 Region 8 play. I'm going to look at Region 7 real quick, see if there's any local schools. So there's St. Francis de Sales out of Toledo. And there's Lima Senior in there. There's Piqua. Okay, we'll talk about Piqua. They're in there. They're ranked 17th. Top eight teams make it. And that's your closest Miami Valley school. Actually, I lie. Troy's in here. The Troy Trojans are third in D2 Region 7, along with the Toledo schools and some Columbus schools. Trojans are 6-1, and one, and they control their own destiny, meaning driver's seat for playoffs. Your next closest school, I almost said Springfield, but that's Holland Springfield, so not the correct Springfield. Piqua, 3-4. and four. Sydney at 20th at 2-5. and five. And that's it in terms of local schools. It's a good thing I checked that because then I would have missed that. We'll go to D3, Region 12, as Shamana, Julianne, Wapakoneta, Franklin, Trotwood, Madison, St. Mary's Memorial, Hamilton Ross, Hamilton Baden, and Cincinnati Hughes are in the top eight. With Greenville, Fenwick, Alter, Goshen, and Mount Healthy not far behind. Controlling their own destiny are the CJ Eagles, the Redskins of Wapakoneta, and the Trotwood Madison Rams. Franklin is in a good spot for a playoff spot. There is one team that's eliminated, and it's the Maroon Hornets. They're tied for 26 with Elida, who is not mathematically eliminated, according to the math. Hughes, according to JoeIdle.com, has never made the playoffs. So if they hold on for that spot, that would be a big get for the Big Red. But right behind the Big Red, the Greenville Green Wave, the last time they made the playoffs, 1996. It's been a while. Your longest drought outside the never making it would be 2011 for Hamilton Ross. And Ross is 6-1 and one in a pretty good spot for a playoff spot. So again, CJ, Wapakoneta, Franklin, Trotwood, Madison, St. Mary's, Ross, Baden, and Hughes, your top eight. With Greenville, Bishop Fenwick, Archbishop Alter, Goshen, Mount Healthy, Aiken, Dunbar, Carroll, Tippecanoe, Lima Shawnee, Salina, Vandalia Butler, New Richmond, Northwest, Taylor, Belmont, Woodward, Elida, and Monroe, wrapping up D3 Region 12. And a quick peek at Region 11 for D3. Jonathan Alder, a team we cover because not only Jonathan Alder in the Central Buckeye Conference. They play a lot of Miami Valley schools, so therefore we talk about the Pioneers, even though they're outside the coverage range, which be Madison County. They're in Plain City, though. How can you hate a town called Plain City? Anyway, the Pioneers are second in D3 Region 11. They're trailing Bishop Hartley and the Hawks. Both those schools control their own destiny following the Pioneers of Jonathan Alder. You have Jackson, which I believe is Southern Ohio, Granville, which is technically central Ohio. Nice little town. Zanesville, London, Bellbrook is in the top eight. And Thornville, Sheridan. The Golden Eagles are five and two. Also, London controls their own destiny, meaning keep winning and the Red Raiders will be in. Behind the top eight, Columbus Centennial, Dresden Tri-Valley, not to be confused with New Mass and Tri-Village. Bishop Watterson, Columbus South, Unito. Unito? Unito? I don't know how to pronounce that, actually. Miami Trace, Wilmington, Columbus Beechcroft, Columbus Eastmore Academy, Marietta, Bell Fountain, Athens, Warren, Hamilton Township in Columbus, Bexley, 
Independence. And the two teams mathematically eliminated. There is one in the Cincinnati area, Mount Oreb, Western Brown, and Delaware's Buckeye Valley. Looking at the top eight, the longest drought would be Zanesville. They last made in 2015. Right behind the top eight, though, Columbus Centennial. They've never made it. I think that's a pretty young school, though. Let's look and see if I'm right or not. I don't know. It does not say. But there you go. Their only loss, Centennial, in the Stars was to Granville Heights, who's 5-2. and two. And that was by one point. Outside that, it's been easy rolling for the Stars. It's a cool name, Stars. I like looking up different schools and seeing what their names are, and I like learning that there's different names. We move on to Division 4, first with Region 16. The Valley View Spartans, since they've lost two in a row, are now outside the Top 8 bubble. Controlling their own destiny at the top of the D4 Region 16 mountain, the Wyoming Cowboys and the Indian Hill Braves. I think Indian Hill has to play Wyoming still. Yep, that's at the end of the season. Fun. Before that Wyoming-Indian Hill battle at Wyoming, there is a battle at Taylor and a home battle against Finney Town for Indian Hill. For Wyoming, Indian Hill wraps up the season, but there's a road match at Finney Town for the Cowboys and a home match against Taylor. So, again, control your own destiny, win those next two, and you're probably in. Clinton Massey is in third. Six and one are the Falcons, along with the six and one Waynesville Spartans and the Milton Union Bulldogs. Kenton and Bethel Tate are five and two, and St. Bernard Roger Bacon wraps up the top eight, and the Spartans are six and one. Corey Kiner broke a very big record, and he's going to be honored for that. He's got the most rushing yards and touchdowns in Roger Bacon football history, so congrats go out to the junior. Yeah, another year, and he could really smash that record. But, sorry, that is Roger Bacon, not St. Bernard, St. Bernard Elmwood Place. Roger Bacon is technically in the neighborhood of St. Bernard. Outside the top eight, Valley View, Archbishop McNicholas, Northridge, who have never qualified for a playoff spot, but the Polar Bears are six and one. They need wins, and they need their foes that they defeated to pick up wins to get the computer points. Followed by Kenton Ridge, Washington Courthouse, Washington, Northwestern, Hillsboro, Graham, McLean, Schroeder, Benjamin Logan, Eaton, Thurgood Marshall, Oakwood, Batavia, Norwood, Ponix Tech, and Urbana. Norwood, Ponix Tech, and Urbana have been eliminated. They are the 0-7 squads in Region 16, Division 4. I just realized that this has been going on for about 50 minutes. I apologize. This is going to be a long episode. A quick peek at Division 4, Region 15. There's Waverly, who's normally in Region 16, but they're up one. There is not a local squad. I'm glad I checked that. I could edit that out, but we'll go to Division 5, Region 20. West Jefferson, who's been rolling along this year, they're 7-0, and and they control their own destiny. They're the Rough Riders. I keep thinking of the Broncos, but they're the Rough Riders. Taft, Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy, Springfield Shawnee, and Cincinnati Summit Country Day are the top five, followed by West Liberty Salem, Greenan, and Marymount. 
I would say one of the squads that really surprised me is Greenan. Greenan's never made the playoffs in school history. Never. And with Greenan and Knights going to 3-0, and quite the roll. After having a two-game slide, they've bounced back nicely, have the Knights. That'd be a nice story. So outside the top eight bubble, outside the Marymount Warriors, who are 5-2, and two, last time they made it, the Marymount Warriors, it was 2014. That's the longest stretch outside Greenan's in the top eight. Outside that, Madeira, Brookville, Middletown, Madison, Indian Lake, Blanchester, Madison Plains, North College Hill, East Clinton, Miami East, Claremont Northeastern, Versailles, Purcell Marion, Preble Shawnee, Redding, Finneytown, Carlisle, Bethel, Clark Montessori, and Meadowdale. Clark Montessori has been mathematically eliminated. The only team in Division 5 Region 20 to do such. Quick peek at Region 19 to see if there's any local squads. There is not. So there you go. We'll look at Division 6, Region 24. This used to be the smallest division in Ohio till a couple years ago when Division 7 was born. Paint Valley controls their own destiny in Bainbridge, Ohio. Interesting. I don't know where Bainbridge, Ohio is, but Paint Valley leads D6 Region 24 at 6 and 1 to control their own destiny. Followed by Adina and Frankfurt, Southeastern and Chillicothe, Columbus Grandview Heights, the first local team I recognize in Miami Valley, Arcanum, their fifth at 7 and 0. That's been a wonderful season for the Trojans as well. 7 and 0. And I think their biggest win, I'd have to say National Trail. That's back when National Trail was undefeated. Now the Blazers are currently on a three-game slide, if I remember why. However, Arcanum still has Covington to deal with. It's a home game for the Trojans, but Covington is no soft customer. And then a home match against Tri-Village for a Southern Dark County affair, and then at Mississinawa Valley. Keep forgetting with the CCC being so big that not everyone plays everyone in the CCC. And in fact, that Oldenburg Academy forfeit, that was week one. I thought it was week two, but there you go. Arcanum, 7-0, and their last trip to the playoffs. You have to go back to 2005. It's been a while. That was my senior year at Valley View, but there you go. Worthington Christian also in the mix. They have never made the playoffs. They're currently six in D6 Region 24. Followed by Mechanicsburg and Fairbanks. Fairbanks has had a nice year. Mechanicsburg, a very nice year as well. Followed by Covington at 5-2. and two. Deer Park, Dayton Christian, Lucasville Valley, Greenview at 3-4. and four. Williamsburg, National Trail, Fayetteville, Dixie, Troy Christian, Triad, Cincinnati Country Day, Dawson Bryant out of Cole Grove, Huntington from Chillicothe, Northeastern in Springfield, Afrocentric Early College, Gamble Montessori, Kip Columbus, which I believe, what is that short for? It's like Knights in Power or something. I think it's a Christian school. And their only win was against a club squad, meaning in the eyes of the OHSAA, Kip is winless. And it says so at 0-6. And, and Riverview East Academy, which, take a quick peek. Yes, the last three games for Riverview East have been canceled. 
And I'm pretty sure that means they don't have the depth for a football squad, which is a shame. I don't like hearing about that in terms of any school. I want to see good competition. Coldwater in Region 5, excuse me, Region 23, Division 5. They're second, and they control their own destiny, meaning if Coldwater keeps winning, easy peasy for the Cavaliers. In fact, they have the away game at Anna, a home game against St. Henry, and an away game against Marion Local. If Coldwater can nail either win at Anna or Marion Local, sure thing the Cavs are in. And St. Henry, they're 1-6. and six. I think that's my biggest surprise. St. Henry's normally up there in terms of football. But this year, 1-6. and six. Liberty Center, they're 7-0. and oh. They also control their own destiny, and they have a little bit higher of a current average than Coldwater does, meaning points per game type of thing. Computer points per game, not actual football points per game. Anna, third place, Lima Central Catholic, 6-1, and one. Archbold, Allen East, Minster, and Spencerville. That wraps up your top eight. Followed by Sherwood, Fairview, Gibsonburg, Columbus Grove, Tenora, Ottawa Hills, Parkway. That's a local team. Riverdale, Hicksville, Evergreen out of Metamora, Van Buren, not Kettering, Van Buren, Van Buren, Wayne Trace, Fort Recovery, Bluffton, Ada, Delphos Jefferson, St. Henry, Montpelier, Delta, and Woodmore. The last five squads I mentioned have been mathematically eliminated in Division 5, Division 6, Region 23. Wow, I said five twice. That is bad. I'm sorry. Now for Division 7, Region 28. Controlling their own destiny, the Marion Local Flyers and the New Miami Vikings. They both qualified last year, but New Miami currently 6-0 because their win against Landmark Christian doesn't count in OHSAAIs because it's not an OHSAA-affiliated school. Fort Loramie not too far behind at 6-1, followed by Cincinnati College Prep, Dola Harden Northern, Lima Perry, Mississinawa Valley, which they last made the playoffs, the Blackhawks dig, in 2004. Harden Northern last made the playoffs in 2006, and Cincinnati College Prep never made it, but I'm pretty sure Cincinnati College Prep is a fairly young school. And in 8th place in D7 Region 28, Waynesfield Goshen at 5-2. and two. The Cardinals are right outside the bubble. They've last made in 2004. I think the Cardinals 5-2. and two. That's a very nice surprise. Followed by Riverside, Lachlan, Ansonia, Layman Catholic, Ridgedale, Tri-Village, Southeastern out of South Charleston. That's Clark County. Hillcrest, Upper Scioto Valley, St. Bernard, Elmwood Place, Twin Valley South, Tri-County North, Jefferson Township, Delphi St. John's, Ridgemont, Bradford, Springfield Catholic Central, Cedarville, and Miami Valley Christian Academy. Bradford, Catholic Central, Cedarville, and MVCA, all 0-7, but Cedarville is the only team that can't make the playoffs because of mathematical elimination, you see. Like I mentioned, Cincy College Prep, they've never made it. Longest stretch would be Mississippi Valley's 2004, although Hard Northern also a long droughted 2006. Longest one outside the schools never making the playoffs. Wait, Jefferson Township never made the playoffs? I thought they were really successful back in the day. Yeah. Your longest drought would be Twin Valley South. 
Their only trip to the playoffs was 1999. They had a good run until they lost by a touchdown extra point to St. Henry. And I don't remember that because I wasn't a sports fan until a couple years later. And a quick peek at Region 27 in Division 7. There is not a local team to talk about. Marvelous. I hope I mentioned my surprises throughout the thing. And we're going back up to Division 1, Region 2, because the uh, Region 2 also has Dayton schools that I completely missed. I'm sorry. I know this is a very long episode, and I do apologize for that, but deal with me. We'll probably go back to an hour next week. Dublin Kaufman leads Region 2, followed by Toledo Whitmer. Springfield, Springfield. Not to be confused with Holland Springfield. I think there's a third Springfield in Ohio, too. Which is weird. But we're talking about the Clark County Springfield. Dublin Jerome, Springboro, Marysville, Perrysburg, and Finley are your top eight. Followed by Northmont, Centerville, Delaware Hayes, Hilliard Bradley, Fairmont, Beaver Creek, Wayne, Miamisburg, Toledo Bosher and Toledo Start. Is there a Toledo finish? <laughs> I'm so funny. No, I'm not. There are two teams that have never made the playoffs, Beaver Creek and Toledo Bosher. Your longest drought in this would be 2013 from Marysville. Actually, I'm wrong. There's a 2008 Delaware Hayes and the Pacers. Good wrestling school. You can see them at the wrestling tournament in Vandalia. Yeah, that'd be the longest drought. I'm looking. Miamisburg, 2016. 2013 to Springboro. Nope, I'm wrong. 2016 for Springboro. 2013's Maryville. Marysville. It's just all the numbers and all the lines that gets on me. I think Springboro's a really nice surprise, because last few years they were struggling a bit, and this year they start off 6-0, and and their first loss was to Springfield, who's, you know, third in the same division and region. So I think that's very impressive. Miamisburg, Lance Schneider taking over his first year. I was very impressed with the win at home against Walnut Hills. And since then, it's not been easy for the Vikings. I'm very surprised they're 1-6. Biggest loss, I'd have to say, Springboro. That's a... I don't want to say Crosstown, because that's not correct, but nearby rivalry. Springboro's having a great year. Centerville, that uh, resurgence they had in that four-game winning streak, I think that was very surprising. And the loss to Fairmont, even more surprising. Miamisburg's at Northmont, home against Lebanon, and then at Beaver Creek to close out 2019. Is there anyone mathematically eliminated? No. Not according to this. But you can kind of guess, you know, the top eight teams that continue to win, they're in. Actually, Finley and the Trojans are only three and four. Northmont's three and four. Centerville's four and three. I can't wait to see what the playoffs look like. And that will take us to a well-deserved break. This is an hour plus already, and I still have to touch up on a couple other things. Deary me, I hope you're ready for a long episode. I wasn't preparing for that, but there you go. We'll come back for a break. It's episode 119 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. We'll move on to other sports after the break. Hey listeners, did you know that you can buy gear supporting the local Sunday Sports Podcast? Visit theleewmallon.com slash podcast 
then click on Buy Podcast Merchandise made by T Public. You can get shirts, hoodies, mugs, phone cases, and even stickers. Check out the local Sunday sports gear by T Public. Hey folks, this is Lee W. Mallon of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. I'm here to talk to you about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain why. Anchor is 100% free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership required. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place, and all for free. I love hosting on Anchor. It's been super easy to upload episodes, and when I had a problem with something, their tech support got it fixed very quickly. Download the free Anchor app on Google Play or in the App Store, or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, the easiest way on making a podcast. I promise episode 119's second half will go a lot quicker than the first half did. Man, it's weird just talking about all the high schools can make the playoffs and BAM! You're at an hour. Crazy, I know. Anyway, it's time to talk about a team that's probably not making the playoffs, although it's only week six. The Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, another loss. It was a close loss in terms of the score, 23-17 Baltimore. However, when you dive into the individual stats, you'll find out there's nothing close about it. We'll start off with the passing stats, because that's the only thing that's really close. Lamar Jackson threw for 236 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Sacked once. Andy Dalton on the other side, sacked twice. Completed 21 of 39 for 235 yards and one interception. By the way, Lamar Jackson went 21 of 33. Forgot to mention that part. Pass receiving. Well, I'm wrong. That's another part that's close. As Andrews for the Ravens pulled down 99 yards on six catches, eight targets. Sneed only 18 yards, three catches, five targets. 28 yards for Boykin, 23 for Roberts, 22 for Mark Ingram, 18 for Boyle, 18 for Moore, six for Ricard, and four for Hurst. For the Bengals, Alden Tate, who's done a nice job trying to pick up the pieces that A.J. Green has left with his injury, 91 yards on five catches. However, this number is not great. 11 targets. That's six incompletions looking for tape. Four or six for Erickson for 47 yards. 10 yards for Boyd. 29 yards for Joe Mixon. Uzama, 26 yards. Bernard, 20 yards. Eifert, 13. Sample, negative one yards. And Willis, zero yards on one target. So... Through the air, it seems like it'd be a close game. Then you look at the rushing stats. The Ravens outrushed the Bengals 269 to ugh, 33 yards. Wolf. However, the Bengals did get a rushing touchdown. It was Andy Dalton running it in for the score. The Bengals had the lead very early on a return. It was Wilson, Brandon Wilson. I thought his last name was Williams for a minute. I beg your pardon. Wilson, 142 yards on three kickoff returns. 
His longest run was that 92-yard score. For the rushing stats, Lamar Jackson, 152 yards, uh, 19 keeps, 13 rushes for Ingram on 52 yards, 34 yards for Edwards, and Hill, 31 yards on 5 keeps. Jackson rushed for a touchdown. Ingram rushed for one touchdown. Two rushing touchdowns for the Ravens. And Dan Horde mentioned during the halftime break on radio that, I forget what that number was, Colin Kaepernick had the, is it playoff or regular season? I forget what he mentioned, but yeah, Lamar Jackson was pretty close to breaking that record. I think he might have. I'm trying to remember what that record was. 170-something? And Jackson got 152, so maybe not. But, yeah, 269 to 33. Why can't this run game accomplish more for the Bengals? Is it the offensive line or is it the offensive schematics? 33 yards. I mean, I, I, I point at the offensive line all the time. I mean, two sacks isn't great, but could be a lot worse. There was that eight sack performance against Pittsburgh on Monday Night Football. That wasn't great. But, why, why is this offensive rushing unit for the Bengals just so bad? 33 yards in the game. Ugh. Yeah, there's a reason why I didn't want to talk about that loss. It was close, sure. And Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals, would like to remind everyone that the Bengals are still fighting, but 0-6. Not great. Look at all the other stats. The Bengals forced a fumble, and it was lost off Andrews. It looks like the Bengals did not commit a fumble in the game, so that's nice. First downs, the Ravens pick up 26 to the Bengals 18. 15 on the ground for Baltimore compared to the Bengals 2. Through the air, the Bengals out first down the Ravens. Is that a word? Should be. 14 to 11, and out first down the Ravens on penalties to nothing. The net yardage, with what you know from the rushing game, 497 for Baltimore, 254 Cincinnati. Third down efficiency wasn't great for Cincinnati, 5 of 11, compared to 9 of 15 for Baltimore. That's 60% for the Ravens, 45% for the Bengals. 33 rushing yards. Yes, no fumbles. Four penalties, 20 yards on the Bengals. That's not awful. That's just 20 yards. That's four false starts, which, if that's the case, that's not great, but you get what I'm saying. Whereas Baltimore, 10 penalties, 81 yards. Time of possession, 39 minutes, 42 seconds for Baltimore, 20 minutes, 18 seconds for Cincinnati. 23-17, Baltimore wins. I will say, outside the running game, I think the Bengals did all right. Of course, it wasn't all right for the win because you have to include the rushing, even though that's not great to talk about. My big... The reason why I'm upset, my big upset moment, I guess, you have a running back like Joe Mixon, and he gets 10 yards on eight carries. 
That's an average of 1.3 yards per carry. 1.3. That's not getting the job done. Longest rush for Mixon, 3 yards. Actually, that's not even the most by the Bengals core. Erickson had one rush for 17 yards. Bernard, 4 yards, 4 carries. Average of 1 yard per carry. And Dalton had one keep for two yards. That was the touchdown scored by the Bengals. And Wilson had that kickoff return for a touchdown for 92 yards in the first 11 seconds of the game. So the Bengals didn't kick a field goal to lead 3 nothing and then give up the lead. They gave it up after scoring a touchdown. Uh, I point at the offensive line, and I know the Bengals are dealing with uh, depth issues, but at the same time, 0-6. I don't know how much I put on the offensive line, the running game, the coaching. It could be a combination of all three. I don't know, but... Jacksonville's in town. By Jacksonville's in town, I have to make sure that it's not the London game. I... Pretty sure Cincinnati's got Los Angeles Rams for that. Let's look at and see. But I still think the Bengals aren't going 0-16. I know, that sounds so positive, doesn't it? (sighs) Oh, by the way, in terms of the 0-16 race, there's only two teams. There's Washington defeated Miami, their first win, and the Jets beat Dallas for their first win in Sam Darnold's return. I forget what the error was, but teams were 90 and 1 when they outpossessed the team, outrushed, outganged the team in yardage. And that was the Dallas loss against the Jets. How do you do that? Let's look here. Chiefs and Broncos are on tonight in case you like some football. And it is Cincinnati as the Bengals will host Jacksonville. One positive note, the Jaguars are 1-4 in in their last five games against Cincinnati. But that's part of history. You can't keep looking at it. It's like, oh, well, we'll take down the Jaguars for sure. And yes, Jalen Ramsey is no longer a Jaguar. I don't know how much you keep up with that whole drama, but what a sight to behold. Ramsey is now with the Los Angeles Rams. And Marcus Peters got shipped out to Baltimore to help out that secondary. So, a little bit of change of scenery for those two. You can watch it on CBS, the Cincinnati game. I'll probably have my radio on to listen to Dan Horde, one of my favorite broadcasters. You can also listen on NFL Game Pass, Westwood One, Sirius XM, or TuneIn. Heck yeah, TuneIn. And there's a video talking about the preview. My big thing is Leonard Fournette's on the other side for Jacksonville. Last game, 20 carries, 72 yards, and 6 catches for 46. Which, nah, it's over 100. It doesn't sound like a lot, but still, that's pretty decent. So yeah, Bengals hosting the Jaguars this Sunday. Last time these two teams met was 2017, and Jacksonville defeated Cincinnati 23-7. So before that, the Bengals were 4-0 against this Jacksonville squad. Jacksonville's 2-4 and four on the year. Cincinnati's 0-6. So, if there's any time to pick up your first win, it's at home. 
And I know most fans are starting to shut their wallets and not give Mike Brown any money. Which, I, I get the reasoning on that, but at the same time, there's other ways to tell them that you're pissed off. I mean, this Bengals team, with all the talent, shouldn't be 0-6. No way. But again, what's the fault here? Is it the injuries? Is it the lack of depth on key positions? What is it? I don't know. I, I don't know anymore. Actually, the Bengals are on 6. Miami's 0-5. They already had their bye week. So, I was wrong by saying, oh, the Patriots and Jets game is Monday night. Okay. Note to self. That's for my fantasy team. Sunday's game's up one. Come on out. I know, uh, is it Bengal Joe that does a lot of tailgate stuff? Right by Paul Brown Stadium? Definitely check that out. I'd like to check that out one day. To say, I tailgated at an NFL game. I've never been to an NFL game or an NFL stadium. But I've been following the Bengals for a while on radio. And like I said, Dan Horde is fantastic what he does. And Dave Lapham is too, except when Dave just interrupts Dan Horde. Now we'll talk about something that's a little more positive. The Reds. No, they're not in the playoffs. They didn't get in by some miracle wing or something. They picked up someone. They picked up Josh Smith. And no, this is not the same Josh Smith that was part of the Reds' farm system years ago. This is Josh D. Smith. He's a graduate of Wichita State University. Drafted by the Brewers in the 26th round of 2011's draft. And then one year later, picked up by Pittsburgh in the 25th round of 2012's amateur draft. Like I mentioned, formerly of Wichita State University. Is that where Eric Wedge is managing now? I think that's what I remember saying. Coming in to the offseason, 2019, a 6.39 ERA, 14 games in 12 and two-thirds innings. I believe it's for Miami. Actually, his ERA at Miami was 8.31. For Cleveland, it was 5.40. In Columbus, where he was majority of his appearances, 2.73 ERA, 41 appearances, all out of the bullpen. And he finished the game 18 times, which is your GF stat if you like stats. 52.2 innings with the Clippers. 16 earned runs, 17 total on 32 hits. Walked 24, struck out 74. Not a bad ratio there. Beamed 5 and threw 5 wild pitches. So, not bad. Had some great numbers with AAA Columbus. But he was sent back and forth from Cleveland and Columbus, which, you know, I still think that Cleveland-Columbus partnership is great. I mean, yeah, the Yankees and Columbus, Ohio have minor league, major league baseball history together for, what was that, nearly 30, over 30 years? Because I think the Yankees started with Columbus in the 70s. It doesn't matter, but you get what I'm saying. I like the Columbus and Cleveland uh, partnership. Picked up by Miami, and then went, let's see, going back to the stats, Six appearances out of the bullpen, finished three games for the Marlins, four and a third, four earned runs, three hits, struck out two, walked three. 
So in the majors, not the best numbers with Columbus. There's promise there. Now, my big thing is, remember, they hired uh, Bodie. Forgetting what his first name is. But with pitch line. And what he can do with the Reds pitchers from majors and minors. I want to see what he can do with this. I want to see if Josh D. Smith can become a part of the Reds bullpen. Because towards the later part of the year, especially, that bullpen was collapsing. I mean, they were used quite a lot during the beginning parts of the season and were outstanding. And then, you know, wear and tear happened. And most of them that were part of the team to start off the year aren't anymore. So Josh D. Smith, not to be fused with Josh A. Smith. This is a relief pitcher and a left-hander at that, which you hear right-handers are a dime a dozen, left-handers aren't. Fairly young. He is one year younger than I am, so getting ready to be in his 30s. Actually just turned 30 a couple days ago, according to this baseball reference. So I'd like to see what Bodie can do, and I'd like to see what Josh D. Smith adds to the Reds' bullpen. And now we move from Great American Ballpark to a rink that currently doesn't have a name, I think. Actually, that's a good thing to check out. It's the Cincinnati Cyclones! The ECHL season has started, and the Cyclones have a one nothing record. Not a lot to talk about. Well, there is an app for Cincinnati Cyclones fans, only on Apple, not on Android. Android always gets seconds, which, uh, whatever. Anyway, Cincinnati came off a 4-2 win against Wheeling and the Nailers, part of the Pittsburgh Penguins farm system. And the details read like this. If you want to see the Cyclones at home, you're going to have to wait to the end of the month. Seriously, Cincinnati will be on the road for three straight, including two in Indianapolis, Indiana, for the Fuel. Fuel are actually 2-0 on the year with Doug Christensen, new head coach, new system. That'll be a nice series. Cyclones kicked off the season with $1 John Morrell hot dogs. Yum. Donato's pizza, soda, and beer. First 5,000 fans received a Cyclones calendar by UC Health. These are details about the game that happened uh, a while back. The Nailers had a 2-0 lead after two periods of play, but Cincinnati scores four in the third to win. Quite impressive. Let's look at the full box score, because I don't want tickets for a game that's already happened. I'm not Mario McFly with the Gray's Book or Gray's Sports Almanac. That was Gray's Book Almanac for some reason, I don't know. Two hours, 34 minutes was the game length as Boomhauer's your number one star. I believe he had the game-winning goal. Actually had the goal to ice it. Edward, who is a new acquisition for the Cyclones, he had the game-winning goal from Aquin and Bisson's assist. And Boomhauer had an empty netter from Mitchell to put it away from the Wheeling Nailers. Wheeling outshot Cincinnati 38-32 in the game, and both teams went 0 for on the power play. Wheeling went 0 for 5. Cincinnati went 0 for 8. Cincinnati. Looking at the goals, uh, Mitchell scored from Boomhauer on a shorthander, and Debrinkat from Wittala and Baldry, Edward from Aquin and Bisson, your game winner, and Boomhauer from Mitchell for the empty net icer. 
Wheeling spent 21 minutes in the box, Cincinnati 15. 21 minutes on 9 infractions for the Nailers. 6 infractions, 15 minutes for the Cyclones. Boomhauer, your number one star. Mitchell, your second star. Edward, your third star. I believe that's Edward. It's Edward H. There you go. In case you wanted to spell it. Looking at the... The penalties. There is fighting between Schultz and Vave. Vave of Cincy. Schultz of Wheeling. Now, I always liked the Wheeling and Cincinnati series. I always liked the Wheeling had an ECHL team. I thought it was a great series when the Bombers were still here and the Cyclones. So, I definitely love that rivalry. And again, Wheeling is part of Pittsburgh's farm system. Cincinnati now part of Buffalo's. A system that does look into ECHL teams. Which is great, because there is promise. Hauser picked up the win in goal. 36 saves, 38 shots in... 59 minutes, 48 seconds. And I believe that's the Oreo of the Nailers. 59-42, 28 saves, 31 shots. And there's a shot on the empty net. I mean, that makes sense because it's an empty net. There you go. So yeah, good one nothing start for Cincinnati. It's still called U.S. Bank Arena. I'm surprised. Because U.S. Bank announced they weren't sponsoring the arena anymore, so I wasn't sure if the name would convert or anything. Let's have a look. Like I mentioned, tickets are very reasonable. If you want to take your family out, they do a lot of great things, like great events. Like November 16th is Batman night. So I assume you walk up to the gate go, I'm Batman. That's great. Can I have your ticket? I'm Batman. I don't need tickets. I assume. I don't know. I don't know Batman like everyone else. There's Princess Night. There's Throwback Weekend and Teddy Bear Toss Night, which I always love Teddy Bear Toss. When we had it for the Demons, when we scored the first goal, just seeing all the teddy bears flung in the ice, and I think it was Dayton Children's that the bears were sent to. It was always cool. But yeah, Cincinnati does a nice job, and I recommend going see the Cyclones more than once. You're not seeing it for U.S. Bank Arena, you're seeing it for Cyclones and a family that cares about hockey. Like I mentioned, three straight road games for Cincy. They're at Kalamazoo this Saturday, and then Indianapolis, or Indy, for two next week. And then October 30th, $1 Beer Night versus the Florida Everblades. That's one of my favorite names for teams, Everblades. And just have a quick look. See, Arena Info, is it still called U.S. Bank? Apparently it is. Interesting. And it tells you about other things, so that's great. That's what sites do normally, tell you about other things, but there you go. Cyclones want to know, and they're on the road for three straight. And now, to close out episode 119, see, I told you it wasn't going to be long, although we're reaching 30 minutes already, that's... Why can't I stop talking? Oh yeah, because I'm a broadcaster and announcer. What did you expect? So I mentioned there are big splashes made in one of the oldest independent baseball leagues in America. That'd be the Frontier League. They've been around since 1993, and their history stems from southern Ohio and surrounding areas. The closest team now would be the Florence Freedom, which, by the way, they have tallied all the votes for the new name. 
and they're going to release the top five October 23rd. So keep your eyes peeled for the Florence Freedom social media feeds and see what the names will be. Hopefully Freedom is one of them. I have a feeling Freedom will be one of them, but we'll see. So the big news is there's a major shakeup. You probably already guessed that bit. The Frontier League and the Can-Am League, which is short for the Canadian-American League, will be merging. The name will still be the Frontier League, and there will be five teams from the Can-Am calling the Frontier League home. There will be two divisions of seven teams each, one the Midwest, one the Northeast, and there will be 96 games next season. Season will start Thursday, May 14th for opening day and go to September 6th. And the full 2020 schedule will be released this upcoming Monday. 14 teams, that's huge. Because what's the big point of this? Remember, the River City Rascals, the team that won the championship against Florence, they're no longer in the lead. They have decided to go the summer collegiate route, which is you have less games. It's, I assume it's cheaper to run. I mean, you just need to get the college kids places to live, or host families is the norm, I should say. But Frontier League continues to keep on, so that's great. 14 teams, like I mentioned, two seven-club divisions which will include the standing nine Frontier League teams and the five clubs in the Can-Am. The five squads are the New Jersey Jackals, the Quebec Capitals, the Rockland Boulders, the Sussex County Miners, and this one I am probably going to butcher. It is French. It's Trois-Rivières-Eagles? Eagles? A-I-G-L-E-S. I assume it's French for Eagles. I assume. I don't know. But they're now in the Frontier League. They'll play in the Can-Am division, which they'll be joined with Lake Erie and Washington, Pennsylvania. The other seven squads will stay in the Midwest division. I'll include Evansville, Florence, Gateway, Joliet, Schaumburg, Southern Illinois, and Windy City. That's Chicago. Oldest independent professional baseball league in the country beginning in 1993 and just completing its 27th season. I was worried with the loss of River City. There's nine teams. So, you know, scheduling would have been fun, if you don't know what the word fun means. I presume that means that there will be a wild card and a division winner in each side, meaning four playoff teams. And then the winner of those playoff series play for the Frontier League Championship. I assume that's how they're going with this. In the press release, it also mentions... In the 27 seasons of Frontier League, over a 1,000 players have been signed by MLB teams. There's not a lot of stories where the independent ball players get to the major leagues. Uh, Della, Della Plain, the pitcher, he was with Toronto and briefly with Cincinnati, if I remember right. I could be making that, all that up, but I'm pretty sure he's one of them. But Tyler Gibson of the Dragons, you remember me talking about him a couple months ago. He's from Florence. He did nice. Uh, hopefully, he'll find a way to stick around and become maybe a Tortuga of Daytona. Maybe a lookout of Chattanooga. Make his way to the Cincinnati Reds. 
The Frontier League Commissioner, Bill Lee, who's been at the helm since 1994, will stay in his position, as he was extremely excited and privileged to make that announcement, as apparently those discussions have been happening for about two years. The 2019 Frontier League Can-Am League All-Star Game was the first major step in the leagues working together, and can strengthen both as a whole. Both leagues as a whole, which is now just one, the Frontier League. So look, I'll pull up that map that I had on Facebook. Lots of people happy about the news. But my big worry, the footprint spread. When Dayton was in the FHL, you had Dayton, Danville, Port Huron for a year for the demolition folded. Didn't have a lot of Midwest League stops, or mid Midwest League stops, excuse me. Midwest stops, or, you know, Pennsylvania stops. There was also Steel City for a year, which I like going to. So, your map, you will have heavy concentration in Illinois. In fact, well, five teams in Illinois and one in southern Indiana, Evansville. You'll have the Florence Freedom in the Cincinnati area. In fact, in the map, they put them in Cincinnati. You have Washington, Pennsylvania, which is... Is that southwest or southeast of Pittsburgh? It's right off 70. You can see the ballpark, and it's nice. You also have the Lake Erie Crushers, which is marked in Cleveland. And then your additions from the Can-Am. It looks like... Well, where the map's spotted, it's kind of New Jersey, New York-ish. Sussex County, uh, Rockland, and New Jersey. And then you have two in Quebec. Right by Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Trois-Rivières, and Quebec City. So, for Lake... I say Lake County or Lake Erie? If I said Lake County, I apologize, it's Lake Erie. For Lake Erie and Washington, that's a hike to Quebec. I mean, I'm sure it's kind of a straight shot until you have to get into Quebec. But... For the Midwest division, it's nice. I mean, for the Illinois squads, your furthest trip is Florence, Kentucky, which is Cincinnati. That's not bad. And for Florence, what is that team? Is that Chump? No, that's Gateway. I guess Gateway's around Missouri, but they have it inside the Illinois border, so there you go. That's why I said it. Just that big footprint. There's a lot. I just worry about the travel costs for, you know, the Can-Am division. Especially for Lake Erie and Washington. I mean, the trip to the tri-state New York, New Jersey, and that area, that's not awful. It's just Quebec. Now everyone's got to get passports and learn French. Which, I wish I remember any of my French, but there you go. What is nice is the Frontier League adds five... I'd like to see something where, you know, the American Association, that independent baseball league, and Frontier League come up with something. Because that's where most of the, most of my knowledge of independent ball stems, especially Mark Schlemmer with Sioux City. I think it's Sioux City. Let's look up AA Baseball, and hopefully it doesn't take me to something else. Well, it takes me straight to minor league baseball. That is definitely what I was looking for. 
American Association of Professional Baseball. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you. You got Sioux Falls, Sioux City. Yeah, it was Sioux City. I'm glad I'm right. The Milwaukee Milkmen, who played a little bit of Kokomo while waiting for that stadium in Franklin to finish. Franklin, Wisconsin, not Franklin, Ohio. You have Gary, Indiana. I mean, think about it. I mean, adding or combining some of those. I mean, you got Chicago, the dogs. I really think if the AA and the Frontier League team up, I think that would be nice for independent ball because that's a pretty big stretch. There is a team in Canada, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, which is a type of fish. But it's nice. I mean, I know there's the Kansas City T-Bones. They're having trouble with, you know, the whole eviction from their stadium and now new ownerships trying to fix all that. So hopefully they stay put. I do like the name T-Bones. Though the hashtag, fun well done. No, don't have your steaks well done. That's nasty. Don't do that. I also like the Chicago Dogs name. That's where Carlos Zambrano signed. I don't know if he's still there or not, but... St. Paul Saints, there's probably some teams you know, Texas Air Hogs. I mentioned the Milwaukee Milkmen, Sioux City Explorers, Sioux Fall Canaries, Sioux Falls Canaries. There's more than one fall. Lincoln, I believe that's Nebraska Salt Dogs. Technically, it's Gary South Shore. I, I is there a Gary North Shore? A couple years back, actually it's been about a decade or so ago now, that's where Valparaiso hosted the Horizon League Tournament. I think Wright State won it. There's also Fargo, Moorhead, Claiborne. And that's your AA. A. Like I said, I think that is probably the next best step for the Frontier League to take. Because the AA footprint is like right next door to Gateway and everything. What better way to strengthen independent ball? I mean, past few years, Frontier League's lost a couple teams. I mean... Chillicothe left years ago now. Richmond. Actually, going to the comments. Travco, who had a question earlier in Malin's mailbag. They need to bring back the Richmond Roosters. I agree. And he was once an Evansville Otter, so he got a little independent ball time as well, which is really cool. For Richmond, Indiana, I think you need a new ballpark. I mean, I love Don McBride Stadium, but... Before the Roosters were sold to Traverse City, there was a plan to put a baseball stadium right by the state of Ohio border. Like, you could see it off I-70 and US-40. It never happened, of course, because it's not a thing that exists. But it's close to the highway, it's easy to travel, and you have a lot of things around there where, you know, you can stay the night, you can get fast food, you know. You can go to Lowe's and go, and then have everyone look at you weird. It's like, why did you do the Tim Allen? I don't know. Wes, uh, Wes Lyle says, leave the Florence team in freedom, as the freedom. Which, like I said, hopefully that's a choice. I'll probably vote on that. And Jeffrey Schmatroma, who I worked with at the Demons, love the Washington Wild things. Their stadium's right off Interstate 70, and you can see as you drove through, which I did when... I went with the team to Steel City, so definitely. I, I, I like the Wild Things name, too. That's unique. So, congrats to the Frontier League. 14 teams for 2020 and the season starting 
mid-May, Thursday, May 14th, and the regular season concluding Sunday, September 6th, with the playoffs to start shortly thereafter. Will we see independent ball closer to us in terms of, like, Dayton or anything around, like Chillicothe? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I'd love to see Richmond again, but right now they got a good thing with the Jazz. I like in that last few moments you could hear my phone going off, which is another auto-spam telemarketer person, which is great. Love those calls. Anyway, I think that wraps up episode 119 quite nicely. And before we hit the one-hour mark in this episode, whew. I mean, when I do when I do interviews, that's great, because I want to know about the other person. When I'm talking for about two hours, no one needs to hear that. Do you? Nah. Anyway, episode 120, hopefully not as long as this episode, but we'll come back and talk more Cincinnati, Dayton, Ohio sports. What else would you expect in this podcast? Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit the leewmowen.com slash podcast. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at the Lee W. Mallon and at Sunday Pod. Like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and download the free Flick Chat app, then search for the local Sunday sports group to submit your future Mowen's mailbag questions. The closing theme is Lights Go Down by Dan Hennig, provided by the YouTube Music Library Collection. This is Lee W. Mowen, and I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.